Hello and welcome to the Business of Freelancing podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing expertise and building credible expertise, what it is, why you should do it, and the key questions to ask yourself as you start down or continue your journey as an expert. On today's episode of The Business of Freelancing, we're joined by Meg Cumby. Hello. Reuven Lerner. Hi, everyone. Jeremy Green. Hey, y'all. And I'm your host, Kai Davis. To kick off the episode, I'm curious, when I say, uh, uh, think of an expert or think of an example of expertise, who comes to mind for you all? Well, I'm, I'm interested in lots of different subjects. I'm sure we're all interested in lots of different subjects. And so I don't have any one answer. It's that in every particular subject, there are two, three, four different people who I can think of as being ex, you know, experts. So if it's in you know history, fine, I'll think of some people. But if it's in programming, if it's consulting, if it's in teaching. And, and so when I think of who's an expert, that leads me to think of, okay, well, why do I think that they are experts? Is it just because they publish a ton? It's not just that, but it's because they they do have a public profile. They are writing a lot. They're writing, they've been writing for a long time. And it's clear over that long uh, period of time, they've demonstrated consistently good ideas um, that resonate with my interests and my needs. When I think of it, uh, uh, it, similar to you, like a lot of different folks come to mind. In in the consulting space, two folks that immediately pop to mind, one is Jonathan Stark and the other is Alan Weiss. And they just come to mind because they really are prolific in their content creation, but they're also focused. You aren't seeing Jonathan say, launch a book, or Alan Weiss, for example, launch a book about, hey, here are my favorite baking recipes. They're prolific, but within a very confined space. And so that always comes to mind when I think about expertise. It's demonstrating your knowledge, your aptitude, your ability, teaching and sharing, but in a very focused way or making sure you aren't sort of straying across that boundary. You might know a lot about other areas, but as you're building expertise, it's it's kind of niche and focused and just around one particular thing. I, I, I hadn't thought about it that way first, but as soon as you say who's expert, I mean, there's nothing that doesn't come up that's somebody who hasn't written something, like Reuven was saying, very much so, like as an author of something, even if it is a self-published book or like, you know, it's like, yeah, there's always something or has put out a course, like lots of course, like, and it's usually a lot of material too. Like I said, that, that, that breadth of material. Jonathan Starks, I mean, like the number one off the top of your head, again, with the, with the indie consulting. Yeah, for me, like as a developer, you know, a lot of developers that I know and follow came to mind, um, like Aaron Patterson, uh, known on the internets as Tinder Love, uh, and is one of the primary contributors to Ruby and Rails. Uh, you know, he, he writes a lot about Ruby and Rails, um, and, you know, writes a lot of Ruby and Rails, um, which are open source. And, you know, by working on these open source projects, he he literally gets to work in the open and let people see the results of his work, even if they haven't worked directly with him. You know, you can go look at his commit history and GitHub and see every all this work that he's done. Um, he regularly publishes articles about you know, trying to nail down performance problems. Um, he's usually very, you know, he'll sometimes publish articles where he can say, so I found this thing that's going on. I don't know why it's going on. I don't know what's, 
making it happen, but I've narrowed it down that this is a way that you can reproduce it and I'm going to keep looking into it and I hope other people will look into it. But, you know, he doesn't like try to present himself as the all seeing, all knowing, you know, deity of Ruby that has all the answers at all, at all times. He's willing to say, Hey, here's a thing I don't know. And I'm going to look at it and try to figure it out. And I hope other people would help. Um, but then, he, you know, he also does publish answers when he finds what's going on. He'll publish that stuff. Um, yeah. I heard an interview uh, a few months ago already, I guess, uh, a panel of a mix of experienced programmers and new programmers. And uh, they were sort of talking about what are the differences between them. And the experienced developer said, well, we all get stuck sometimes and we all get frustrated sometimes. But the experienced developers know that that frustration will pass and you will be able to get through that trouble. And the beginning person just says, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm never going to be able to get through this. And so I think having sort of, sort of I, I accept, I, um, I, I'm willing to trust an expert even more so, not just because they hit a wall, they were able to get through it, proving their expertise in many ways, but the fact that they're willing to almost sort of fail in public or say, I don't know this stuff in public um, makes them even more impressive to me. And so I, I, I do like the fact that now on the internet, there's so many people saying, I don't know about X. I want to learn about it. I'm going to share with you as I learn it as well. And I think it gives everyone a better sense of, Oh, not everyone needs to know everything or the world is not all only sharing perfection, which certainly is a, a common thing in many internet corners. Now, I, I really like what you just hit on there, Ruben, about expertise isn't necessarily sharing perfection because I think it's honestly a bit of a uh, unexpected swerve. When somebody, a listener might think of experts, it's like, oh, they're, you know, publishing a well-researched perfect book each year. But yes, that is a form of expertise, but so is, you know, being prolific online, writing an article every week. And sometimes the article saying, like you pointed out, this is a weird thing. I have no clue why it's happening, but it's something I ran into on my continuing exploration and We'll see if I run into the answer. It's it's it doesn't have to be as sort of neatly packaged and well defined as a book or a course or a keynote speech to be a demonstration of expertise. Though all of those are also demonstrations of expertise or aspects of expertise. I'll, I'll even just go one one step further than this, which is it's probably happened to you folks that someone has a problem and you're like, oh, I'll just search for the answer. And you enter something in you know, Google or whatever, and they're like, you see, you did know the answer. You say, no, I, I didn't know the answer. I just searched. And you're thinking to yourself, if only they had searched for this such ridiculously obvious thing, then they could have gotten the answer too. By the way, professional hint, don't say that to people. They really don't appreciate it. But basically, knowing how to formulate the question, knowing the vocabulary and the structure, that demonstrates the expertise. And so... Um, just sort of knowing the space to, to fit inside so that when you get stuck, how you wriggle, wriggle yourself out of that box is indeed like a, a form of authority then as well. Yeah. For expertise, knowing the answers is less important than knowing how to find the answers. 100%. And, and being able to navigate those like edge cases that come up and and like, hey, oh, we came, you know, to not be flummoxed when you come up against an obstacle and to like, just, okay, let's problem solve it. Like nobody, 
I don't know if anybody ever expects anybody to know all the answers, or they probably do, but it's not <laughs> realistic to know everything until you've actually faced a certain situation. So, One thing that immediately comes to mind just from this initial conversation is that expertise really is squishy. Like We might internally not feel like we're an expert, but for an external observer, a reader, a follower, a, a client, it's like, oh, they're a chapter ahead of me. Thank gosh they're a chapter ahead of me. They know what the next chapter is. And meanwhile, we internally might be like, oh, I'm only a chapter ahead. How do I get even further ahead? But within that, I think it's a sign that expertise is really relative. I might know more about, for a topic I know nothing about, say, uh, quantum physics than somebody else or a grade schooler. But compared to Einstein or just somebody who studied it for two or three years, I know nothing. So it really is relative between ourselves or our clients or readers or followers. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pick up on that a little bit, which is like, so when I do training and if I go to a new company, I'm always terrified. I'm like, oh my God, this company, I know they're really smart engineers. Clearly I'm going to go in and they're going to roll their eyes. They're going to say, why are you saying such boring, obvious things? And it turns out, yeah, they might be really smart, but I still know more than they do about this particular subject. And so that, so in their eyes, I'm like, you know, a super genius expert. But if we were to turn the tables and we were talking about the thing that they do day to day, they would be the super genius experts. So it's 100% a relative thing. And as long as you could sort of run faster than the crowd and gain additional expertise in your area faster than they can, then you will continue to be that authority figure, continue to be able to give them not, not just, and it's not like saying it's all, you know, imposter syndrome and uh, mockery and uh, fake. No, you are actually giving them useful information because you do know more than they do. And you can gain new knowledge faster than they can because of the infrastructure you've built with your experience. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, worth saying that the goal of building expertise isn't necessarily that you have to establish yourself as the preeminent figure in the world on any given subject, you just have to have enough expertise that you are useful and can help people solve problems. And, you know, you don't have to be an expert compared to whoever is at the pinnacle of that field. You have to be an expert compared to the people that want to hire you to solve their problems. I, I think that's a great segue into another question. So why do leads or clients look for expertise when they're hiring somebody to help with a project or a problem or solve an expensive problem in their business? Why or how is expertise, I guess, a differentiator or an attractor? So I heard this interview probably like a month or two ago with this guy. I think his name is Jerome Levin. He's like a political, right-wing political science uh, person in the US. And he he made the statement, which I it's continued to resonate with me, which is, on the internet, like people have this feeling of, well, all information is available on the internet now. So expertise is not that valuable. But actually, the information is not what people are missing. It's the insights, it's the depth of experiences, knowing how to filter out the wheat from the chaff. And so you as an expert are coming in and you're saying, I'm going to solve your problem faster. I'm going to know which of these sites is going to give me the right answers or better answers in the right direction. And at the end of the day, it's like everything else with business. You're going to help them save money or make more money. So they're going to be able to put out their project faster and thus make more money, or they're going to be able to do it with fewer people and thus save money or both. And so knowing that you are the person able to do that, like, <laughs> why would they not do this, right? They're, they're basically printing money thanks to your expertise. 
No, I like it. Uh, in my mind, part of it has always been expertise is almost a trust signal. If there are, you know, signals of expertise around somebody, books, conference, blog posts, uh, uh, a lot of shit posting on topic on Twitter, it all sort of stands out and says like, oh, this person is demonstrating what they know. This person is showing like, oh, they have this depth of insight, to your point, Reuven, and they're able to sort of sift that wheat from the chaff or figure out the quick and easy way through it. An example that pops to mind, I have a colleague who specializes in search engine optimization and a client came to him and said, I'm freaking out. I'm in Google Search Console. I've got all these errors. Is my site down? What do I do? I, it's like a seven figure business. And my colleague is like, no, uh, Google pushed an update and like half of the backend stuff broke. Ignore all those warnings. They're meaningless and just like junk spam for another six months. Don't even worry about it. And just being able to have that level of insight and say to the client, like, you don't need to worry about this and go from a 10 panic to a zero panic, I think is a sign of the value being able to know, oh, you don't need to pay attention to that. You could safely ignore it. And I think too, like sort of tying back, like just sort of like, hey, came, coming up across this edge case, like knowing what path might be best, like might be better aligned for what goal, like should like, so you know, not like, should I do this? There's the, you can go and find out like, should I do, I don't know, content marketing, you know, <laughs> it's not a simple yes or no, you know, like, you know, it's well, what are you trying to do? Like helping, having somebody's like sort of help them work through what, what they're trying to achieve and, um, and like then be able to suggest, well, if you're trying to achieve this, then this is probably a path you want to go or this way, like within that domain of uh, expertise you've got. Um, there's another reason why I think people just look for like they, if not for certainty, then for like somebody with more experience to sort of act as that guide. It's like, well, I can't tell you exactly what you're going to come across this path, but I can tell you this one's got fewer rocks than that one. <laughs> so if we, if we think about building expertise in relation to lead generation or client services, the business of freelancing in a sense, what are the different ways to build expertise? What sort of like work in public or high valuable content uh, uh, makes sense to be producing? How would we recommend a listener get started or move forward? I think that may be dependent on your field and your the nature of your expertise and the type of clients that you're trying to attract. Um, you know, one thing that has worked for me a few different times is speaking at conferences, uh, developer conferences, and that is kind of normally not what you hear people recommend you do in terms of turning speaking engagements into gigs. Like normally you don't want to be speaking to your peers. You want to be speaking to your prospects or your potential customers. Um, you know, that's the advice that you hear a lot, but I've, I've had great success giving very technical talks at developer conferences um, and having that turn into gigs. Um, you know, I have gave one years ago uh, about using Rails and the Ember project together. Um, and, you know, that was kind of fairly niche-y, um, but I've had, I think, three different prospects come as a result of that talk, two of which turned into jobs. And both of those, uh, the client said something to the effect of, well, you know, we don't need to do any sort of technical interview or anything because I saw your talk. I know that you know what you're talking about. We just have to figure out if we can come to a working business relationship. And, you know, so that made my 
life a whole lot easier in terms of getting those clients from prospect to client because they were coming to me saying, hey, we believe that you can help us and we want you to help us. What will it take for you to help us? Uh, and, you know, that is that's just such a much easier uh, conversation to have than if you're going to them saying, hey, I've got this thing that I think I could help you with or, you know, trying to convince them that you're a good fit. If they're already convinced you're a good fit and just want to work with you, then life gets a lot easier. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's sort of two parts. There's the building of expertise and demonstrating that expertise, but those things are not mutually exclusive. That like teaching what you know actually solidifies what you know. And yes, I've seen this a lot in the developer world, even though I'm not a developer, I get exposed to it a lot. So, but yeah, like really teaching what you know, like just um, you're going to really solidify like it by like, because you have to explain it, what, what you'd like, why things are, why, why those, like, why it works this way, why this is a thing you need to know. And it's a, it's an interesting thing that that kind of accomplishes both goals. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I mean, speaking and writing, I mean, and, and I also want to like to divide up as, as you guys did, like there's the building up of your own expertise, which is certainly important, but then there's also the building up of your uh, image and reputation as an expert. Um, and yeah, I mean, as Meg just said, like they don't have to be mutually exclusive. I find that they go hand in hand a lot of times that when I propose a subject to a conference, very often I only know two thirds of three quarters or three quarters of what I'm actually going to say. Um, oh, oh, don't, don't tell the conferences, but basically, oh, wow. you know, uh, a lot more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and like, it, I use it as a, a way of forcing myself to learn more about a subject. And then I think I'm also in the sort of listener shoes of, of being able to learn about it and understand it better. So I'm building my expertise. But then when I get up in front of people, yeah, it's definitely like Jeremy, like I've definitely gotten gigs as a result where people say, oh, this, like, this would be interesting. They sign up for my mailing list. They buy things for me. Um, and so it, it, it's definitely very much, very much self-reinforcing. Um, and even though I know that like when I speak to my technical peers, they are not necessarily the buyers, the direct buyers of my training. It has definitely happened that they will then go to either come to me and say, how can we get you involved? Or they'll go to their training manager and say, I saw this guy at a conference. We should contact him. Now, it's rarely that direct. But over time, if you reinforce this image of, as an expert, um, it, it will happen. It'll happen more and more. Yeah, I just kind of want to touch on what Ruben was saying there about, you know, how prepared you have to be to propose a talk. Um, you know, I've proposed talks that I knew very, very little about because I thought it would be fun to learn about that thing enough in order to prepare a talk. Um, and, you know, I've certainly, I've proposed lots of talks that I knew almost nothing about and sometimes they don't get picked up and then I don't end up going all the way down that rabbit hole and learning all the things. Um, but then when they do get picked up, it kind of gives me an excuse to make myself go down that rabbit hole and learn those things. Um, and so it's like you, like Meg and Ruben were both saying that it's this kind of reinforcing cycle of demonstrating and developing expertise at the same time. I mean, separate from that, from like the teaching part, not separate, but, um, but more on the building side, like I, I think about this, like that doesn't involve 
let's say, like aside from creating content and talks and all this, like, you know, teaching what you know, there, I, I think in terms of the approaches to building expertise, I mean, there's like, of course, re- reading, you know, in your area of interest or, you know, specialty, reading like uh, things that, you know, connect with that um, and, and learning more. Um, and then actually doing the, like, you know, the more you, like, I think about when I started my service, like I was, it was very contained and it was like, yeah, I'm going to just do this thing. And then, but as you come up across more and more challenging situations, you'd learn how to make through that and your expertise expands by doing the thing. It's like, oh, now I can know, help people advise people over this hurdle or this other thing that connects with, you know, this core thing I used to do. Now I know more about the, how to get those goals and what else it connects with. And those things you did at the beginning, presumably, which seemed hard or you had to work a lot at, now those are second nature. And so someone who sees you doing it, they're like, oh, wow, like, like obviously Meg knows what she's doing because she did this stuff really easily. And you do do it easily now, but because you put in the time. Yeah. And you can build upon, like, I think about, like, you know, so, like, even though, even when I was brand new at doing testimonials and case studies, I was building on expertise I had built up over a decade in communications and journalism, like, it, it and writing, like, you know, it, it built on other, ex- so, yes, it was, like, this funneled, you know, into this very new thing that I was doing, and I, but I had done the elements of those things before, and so just, yeah, evolving, you can, you can, you know, you know, even if you're starting with something new, it's you can build on what you've got before, and sell that as your even if, like so. Even when I was new, I say like, yes, this is a new service, like the back and whenever it was. But I, you know, I've got ten years of expertise in this other area or what have you. I've also found that when I have clients who sort of trust me based on what I've done so far, they're also willing to trust me when it comes to something new that I haven't done yet. So, um, I mean, one of my biggest clients, I've done courses with them for years. Um, if I come to them and I have come to them with ideas for new courses, they say, great, we're really interested in this. The first three times you do it, we're going to consider it a pilot. So if it fails, like, fine, we'll understand, but we're going to hope that it's going to succeed. We're going to hope that the, the surveys you get back at the end of each time you do it during this trial period will get better and better. And sure enough, like I did a new course with them, I don't know, it was probably like two, three years ago already. And the initial results were so-so, and they said, that's fine, we understand. So they basically trusted that over time I was going to get better, and they were willing to sort of use, use their budget and their uh, uh, you know, employees as guinea pigs to some degree, because they figured that even those initial experimental uh, bouts were going to be more than good enough. And that, that's an amazing feeling to have, um, and everyone wins from that. Which kind of weirdly touches on one other point about demonstrating expertise is being honest about where your expertise hits up against a wall and say, we're starting to, I've had to do that with clients sometimes. I've been like, well, we're starting to hit up against the limit of where, you know, my expertise is right now, but I'd be willing to explore this area with like just being... No, like again, not nobody can know everything, and just like, well, this is a bit of a new territory, but let's see if you know what I've, what expertise I do have in the areas I do can help you navigate this area that is a little bit adjacent. No, I, I love that. In in a sense, being a confident expert 
is being willing to say, oh, that is something I do not know, or I've tried it before, I am not the right person to help with that. In a sense, it avoids turning into like an everyman or an every person. Of course, just hand me all the different things I could tackle them. I'm an expert. When the truth is expertise is niche, it's it's focused on a specialization. It's in a small area. Somebody who is, say, an expert on Node.js and the latest and greatest there most likely isn't an expert on C plus or any other or some other programming languages because they're focused on the area where their expertise is. Same with search engine optimization, writing, or any other area that one might be in. And to kind of go back to the you know open source developer thing that I touched on a little bit earlier, I think anything that you can do to have projects where you're doing what you do, but can have the the deliverables or the end result of that project be public or publicly available, that's going to help you. Um, you know, like, you know, if Meg has testimonials that she's written for some of her past clients that she can point new prospects to, that is going to help them understand what she does and the the value that she delivers. And like for me as a developer, you know, I have some side projects that I've developed over the years that, you know, I just imagined a thing and then over time working on it, now there's a, a new app that lives on the internet and that demonstrates to people that, you know, I can take an idea from just an idea and turn it into a concrete thing and deploy it to production and, you know, take it from start to finish uh, in ways that you can't really demonstrate if you don't have something that you can point to to say, yeah, I did that, the whole thing, all of it. Um, and so that helps. And it doesn't even really have to be, you know, necessarily connected to, well, you know, for me, like some of my apps, they don't necessarily have to be connected to what a new prospect would want me to do. They just have to be a Rails app. And, you know, the the domain knowledge for whatever they're looking to do isn't as important as the domain knowledge of, yeah, he can go from nothing to there's an app on the internet. Switching topics for a second. For a listener who's saying, hey, you know, I'm buying into this expertise thing. These people on this podcast seem like they know what they're talking about. They might be experts on this. What, I guess, what are the questions we'd recommend somebody ask themselves? Or what are the initial steps, tactics, or strategy-wise to either start building expertise or be better at building and demonstrating expertise? The first one that comes to mind on my side is really taking a look at your target market. A, making sure you have one and you're not marketing to, you know, all businesses under 500 employees. Thank you. And (laughs) small businesses, technical definition. Uh, uh, But taking a look at your target market, making sure it's crispy and specific, and then going a step further and saying, okay, for my ideal buyer in this target market, maybe it's an individual, maybe it's a company, maybe it's an established enterprise company. What type of signals, trust signals, expertise signals, authority signals do they look for? Because there is difference. An indie buyer will be looking for different things than, you know, the CEO or CXO of a Fortune 500 company, even if they're buying kind of sort of the same thing, SEO, development, social proof, testimonials, whatever it might be. I guess what comes to mind for you all? Where would you recommend somebody start on this journey? Look, I I decided a, a number of years ago probably like four or five, six years ago, that I needed to get my name out, that maybe my clients were happy with what I was doing. But if I really wanted to succeed in doing Python training, I needed to write more on my blog. 
Um, and I realized that this was not going to lead directly. Like no training manager, even at the, like the nerdiest of companies is going to be looking for like Python blog posts. But I wanted to be able to get to the point where if they talk to me and if we had one of our uh, conference calls with a technical person, I could say, oh, and here's my website. And the technical person, being a technical person, would go to my website and say, oh, wow, this is kind of impressive. So I decided to just start writing about things that I found interesting in that domain, in like, you know, demonstrating my sort of technical chops with Python. So someone who went to my website would find 20, 30 blog posts that showed, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Um, and it was stuff similar to what I was teaching in the same sort of style. Obviously, it's not spoken. Um, and so I, I think once you sort of figure out who you're trying to write for, you can similarly try to write about your problem domain. And this not only is good sort of, I don't know, it's not social proof, but like proof that you know what you're talking about, um, but it forces you to write better and more sharply and more articulately about it. And that gives you better expertise. And thus, when someone asks you a question, you're going to be even better able to answer their questions, demonstrating that, yes, they were right to hire you. So it's this, this nice circle. Um, it becomes addictive also to do this sort of writing, like, oh, I'll, I'll find another problem and write about this. And, and it's easy, right? It's easy to do this in small chunks. So I, I would say that's a, not a bad place to start because it wins on a number of fronts. Yeah, I think writing is a great way. Conference talks are great. Um, I think it is kind of a personal thing, like some strategies are going to work better for some people than for others. Um, you know, like some people are going to do great giving conference talks because they like to be in the spotlight and they like to be up on stage and see people looking back at them and, you know, being paid attention to, and other people would be just mortified at that thought of getting up on a stage and speaking in front of 500 people. And so if, you know, if that's you and you, you're not feeling like, public speaking is a thing that you're going to be good at. You don't have to start with public speaking. You know, you can start with writing some blog posts or like, you know, doing work somehow that you can publish. You know, if you're an illustrator, you could just start doing some illustrations and post them on a, a site, post them to Twitter, let people see them. Um, you know, really, I think the important thing is to find ways that will work for you and that you're comfortable doing to demonstrate expertise and that just getting started demonstrating expertise in a way that is comfortable to you is way more valuable than trying to focus on what's the right way to do it or what's the most high value way to do it. You know, you can always look for what's, what's a higher value way later, but getting started with something that you're comfortable with, I think is kind of important. For sure. Uh, yeah. What are, what's the easiest way to start is a good way to, I think, Kai, what you said about starting with like a bit of a self-audit of like, okay, what am I an expert in? What do people come for? What are people referring other people to me for? Like, like, and, and I think about, oh my gosh, I probably could like, like last five or six referrals I've gotten. Like, what if I pulled up those emails? Like, especially when they're the email to someone like that here, Meg meet, Joe, uh, and like, how are they referring to me? And like, is an expert in, or, um, I'm thinking I've just, man, that that's something I'm going to do is <laughs> actually look at that and like, what, how are they describing my expertise? Um, and, um, that's just an interesting part of the self audit. And then, yeah, in terms of building more, like, you know, uh, 
if if it's easier to start with like, hey, read a book or a, or some articles on a topic in your area of expertise that you'd like to learn more on, and then write about that, you know, write a recap um, if that's easier to start rather than or write about a problem you recently solved. Um, to you know, in your client work, like, you know, just like, Hey, came up, think about the last couple of edge cases or problem solving you had to do that's, and then write about that. That might be an easier way to start. Or even just using, I, I love what you shared though, Meg, even just using like questions you've been asked by a client, by mm-hmm. leads, by prospects, by community members. And it's very similar to like the 30 by 500 e-bombing, painstorming approach where you're taking actual questions, writing responses. And over time, you might just start with one or two, but a couple of months later, you have say 15 articles that might be short, but just say like, hey, here's a question I ran into in area of expertise and let me share my answer to it. And over time, that authority def- definitely compounds and stacks on itself and helps you build up a larger base. For sure. I got a question recently that I need to turn into an article. Like, you know, it was from somebody's private Slack community and they're like, could you answer about video testimonials? And I, I was like, well, it's not a service I provide right now, but here, here's some thoughts about how you can make it easier. And, uh, you know, based on my experience with just doing video interviews with people and, uh, uh, I was like, oh man, there's a, there's an article already <laughs> written for me. Participating in communities, huge, huge, uh, help for building expertise. I think getting exposed to those questions and, uh, yeah, those online communities where you're people that are facing those problems are that's you know it's a long play and it's definitely more to like in the building expertise rather than the um get clients right now but if, if you're in a technical area um and you don't have a community necessarily where they're asking questions like i i always say i have this like you know professional secret where people are asking me questions every day in class and so i can sort of Take, take the best nuggets, either turn them into blog posts or uh, Twitter posts, uh, tw- tweets. But if you don't have that, if you're just sort of looking for something in mind, you go to Stack Overflow, find popular questions, and don't answer it on Stack Overflow. Answer it on your blog or your site or your Twitter account. And if you do that enough, people will start realizing. And, and don't copy the answers that are already there, right? Like, that's not what I'm saying. But, <laughs> but over time, you could be seen as an authority um, and someone who people will, will then turn to for answers and want to follow. And I think there is maybe some value in answering them on Stack Overflow. Um, for a while, when I was trying to learn Ember, I kind of went on this spree of every day, spend an hour or two answering questions about Ember on Stack Overflow to force myself to, and like I would try to find ones that, okay, I mostly know the answer to this, but there are parts of it that I need to research. Uh, and that was, I mean, kind of twofold. I learned a lot about Ember over the few months that I did that and got a lot better at working with the framework. But I also had some leads come in from Stack Overflow where people said, hey, I saw that you had answered dozens of questions about Ember and we've got a project. Do you want to work on it? Wow. Uh, yeah. That is, that <laughs> is fascinating. The, the word curiosity has kept coming to my mind throughout this conversation where it seems like to develop expertise, curiosity isn't a requirement 
sort of like a blocker, but it's a very valuable skill or sort of perspective to foster inside of yourself. Even if you're like, eh, this, this Ember stuff, it's kind of boring to me. Well, if you want to develop expertise, figuring out what you're curious about in or around that specialization or area feels like almost like the flywheel here to misuse that term. If you're curious, you're going to seek out questions, answer them, go a little deeper, share, you know, hey, I ran into this weird thing to reference our earlier point, and I'm not quite sure what the answer is, but this is what I do know. And then keep getting a little more curious along the way as you learn more, whatever your topic or whatever your area of focus might be. If you aren't curious, it definitely makes it a harder path to climb. I, I think if you're incurious in our business, then you're going to have a lot of trouble because the, the nature of what we do is always, as I sort of mentioned before, like running ahead of the pack. You've got to know more than they do. And that means constantly learning. And that means enjoying the learning new things. Um, and if you see it as a chore to be improving your skills, um, bad. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Like I, I, and it's, it is, I think there's something to acknowledge that especially if you're a solo person, it is hard to find the time to do all of the things like you're supposed to make time for learning, you know, more and building your expertise and marketing and you're your bookkeeper and you're doing the client work and, you know, oh, by the way, self-care is a thing. And, uh, you know, you might have a family too that needs attending <laughs> to. So, I mean, like it's, it can be hard, but if that's where like, if for this piece of it, if you can be curious about it and actually at least enjoy the process and enjoy building up the, you know, no, not everything's going to be like happy, fun. It's never going to be hard, but at least enjoying the process of, of building up that expertise, it's going to make it more likely that you're going to do it. And also if, even if that's, it's not a immediate benefit to you that you get an immediate benefit of, oh, I learned. That's awesome. That just clicked for me. That's, you know, that's, that's neat. I'm going to put that, file that away and, and you use that when it's helpful. Yeah. You definitely should enjoy the, the process of learning and because yeah, expertise is more of a journey and less of a destination. I think too, like, you know, obviously, like, you know, and if you don't know, like if you don't, um, enjoy what you're doing. Like, maybe there's another topic, like, you know, you don't have to be like, Oh no, I don't enjoy this. You know, like maybe there's something else that you, you, that's adjacent to your current path that might, you know, you might actually enjoy. So not to get discouraged if you don't like, you know, it right now, I mean, there's probably something else. So. Let's, uh, let's each share our picks for the week. Uh, what we have to recommend to listeners. Uh, Meg, why don't you start us off? Sure. Uh, I'm going to, Pick the Tiny NBA, uh, which is a book uh, that just, uh, well, that recently um, Alex Hillman of uh, Stacking the Bricks, uh, 30 by 500, uh, put out. And it's uh, awesome. I have, I've, I've only just cracked it open, uh, not because it's a long book, because uh, I think he estimates it probably only would take 20 to 30 minutes read it cover to cover. It's just a lot of, uh, in fact, the subhead's like 100 very short lessons about the long game of business. It's almost like a, a, a collection of business, a really, really, really well curated business meditations. Uh, a lot of short uh, Alex's thoughts and of, you know, after a long time of, you know, all the lessons he's learned after all the, you know, in all the businesses he's done and, and just make you think about where, you know, what you're doing in your business and how it applies. And, and I think that's the biggest comments I've seen online is that it really makes you think 
And so, uh, yeah, if you like the idea of uh, reflecting on your business, uh, it's uh, I've already seen the value of it, just even reading a couple of them. For me, uh, I definitely want to recommend uh, this article, Stock and Flow. It's about a decade old at this time, but uh, from the wonderful website Snark Market, written by uh, Robin Sloan. And it's it's such an interesting article to me because it really is talking about the episode topic, demonstrating expertise with the content you put out. And Robin breaks the content down into two different types. You've got stock, which is, say, a book you just published or like a heavy epic article on a topic demonstrating that you are the expertise maybe it, or the expert. Maybe it's a movie, something just like large and heavy. But then you also have flow, which is the daily stream of stuff going out across the feeds. Maybe those are tweets or reblogs or a short daily letter you're sending out. But I think it's a great paradigm for thinking about what you're putting out there to demonstrate your expertise. And I just love it as a focusing lens for thinking about this type of topic. So we'll definitely have a link here and I encourage you listeners to uh, check it out. How about for you, Ruben? So I recently discovered a fun podcast called This Day in Esoteric Political History. Um, And it comes out uh, two or three times a week. It's at thisdaypod.com. And it's like usually about 10 minutes, 15 minutes long. I think they now have bonus episodes on Sundays since it's U.S. election season where it's a little longer. But they find something, sometimes really serious, sometimes really, um, but often very frivolous. Like two recent episodes were about uh, uh, Jimmy Carter and the killer rabbit and the scandal of Obama wearing a tan suit. Um, But then they have some (laughs) others in which they they had someone, I forget her name, but uh, the first congresswoman whose husband wrote a public letter demanding that his wife come home to take care of their family. Um, So they have all sorts of like wild, crazy stuff in there. And it's really fun to just sort of get a taste of, uh, of some, well, political history and and their analysis. And they have lots of uh, cool guests come on and help them analyze as well. So it's a thisdaypod.com as well as on Twitter, thisdaypod. Perfect. And how about you, Jeremy? Uh, I'm going to go with the leisure pick this week. Uh, it's a video game I've been playing on PS4 called Ghosts of Tsushima. Um, and you play as a samurai who in feudal Japan who is trying to repel the Mongol invasion. Uh, it's, it's a good time waster. Run around, swinging a sword, shooting a bow and arrow, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know what all platforms it's on, but it's at least on the PS4. Yeah, my husband's been playing it. It's it's a beautiful game. It is. It is. The the uh, scenery in the game is really amazing. Yeah. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Business of Freelancing in your podcast app of choice. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star review. If you don't like the show, also leave us a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Business of Freelancing.